Welcome back, Flight Tube Friday listeners. This is uh, one of your hosts, Sam Haffensteiner. Uh, we split that last episode with uh, Captain Wilson and Sal Palmieri in half and uh, just wanted to get back into it. So some more good storytelling coming up, some favorite SAR cases, some of uh, their favorite moments in aviation. Uh, so looking forward to hearing from them. Hope you guys uh, have a beer at your side and uh, enjoy the rest of this conversation. Let's do it. Go for it, Kenny. Cool. Uh, what do you guys think is your favorite um, flight or most memorable flight for, for either one of you or both of you, actually? Um, just got a couple of them. One one quick one. It wasn't really a, a SAR case, but it was... Um, uh, the morning of 9-11, actually. Um, I was stationed in Atlantic City at the time. And um, we had just a, the day before the operations officer had uh, got all the pilots together and kind of scolded us about not making ramp times and uh, mm-hmm. whatnot. So so uh, fast forward to the, the morning of 9-11, uh, I noticed he was on the flight schedule to fly that morning to, I don't know what the mission was, but uh, he shows up at my desk uh, I was the engineer at the time. He shows up at my desk, and um, first thing I said to him was, "Hey, ops, you're missing your ramp time," you know. <laughs> so he says, "He says, oh, we're we're delaying a little bit. There was some some plane hit a building in in New York City, so we just want to see what happened." So I went, "Okay, you know," and I'm in my mind, I'm visualizing visualizing a you know small sightseeing helicopter, or well, small fixed wing, exactly. highway. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, so uh, about a little bit, left, a few minutes later, I start hearing guys out in maintenance control talking about this. Hey, you got to turn the TV on. You got to watch this. And I'm like, what's going on? So I, so I went out and uh, took a glance at the TV and I was like, oh my God. So yeah. I, w- I went up to the wardroom and uh, you know, a bunch of us are watching and we're like looking at each other like, what do we do? <laughs> you know, and, and um, <clears throat> so we uh, pretty immediately launched a, a 65 up to uh, stage at the old uh, Coast Guard uh, Brooklyn Air Station mm-hmm. at Floyd Bennett Field. And uh, they, they sat there uh, for a bit. And then um, they, they asked me and um, um, Gretchen Jones, if, uh, if anybody knows her, um, she was lieutenant at the time. They, they asked us if we would fly some, uh, you know, blood, blood plasma and all that stuff up to that area. Yeah. So we did absolutely. So um, when a local hospital there, we filled the, back of the helo with, with, with some uh, some of that stuff and uh, we uh, we took off and we we're you know just flying up the Jersey Shore and of course you could at that time you could see the smoke and all that stuff wow. and it was just mind-blowing to me because you know I grew up in that area and that was always you know something I had seen my entire life the Twin Towers sitting standing there mm-hmm. and uh, I think by this time um, the second one had already just collapsed um, so and I remember it was it was a beautiful day it was hardly anybody on the radio, uh, on air traffic control. So, uh, I remember calling air traffic control around, um, uh, probably around the uh, Barnegat area, somewhere up, up there, North, North Jersey in uh, Sandy Hook area, actually. And I say, hey, yes, Coast Guard six, five, whatever. And, uh, I says, we're, you know, Sandy Hook, like go direct, um, at that point it was the Nassau County medical center, which was basically in my hometown. Yeah. Um, so a plan was to land, land there um and then i um so they closed you know, like yeah coast guard you're cleared where we need to go so i'm like okay cool okay so they uh, so they let us they let us go we cut across long island and then by now we're talking to some folks on the ground and uh, i told them I, I can't get into nassau county medical center 
but there's a high school right across the street. I said, I'm going to land in the football field. And that was my old high school. And uh, no way. Yeah. So, really? <laughs> so we, uh, we landed there at the high school and, uh, you know, dropped off all this stuff and, uh, all the blood plasma and, and, um, don't know if, I don't think they ever got to use it, but, um, wow. it was, uh, it was just an amazing sight to see. And it's just, you know, you feel it in the, in your gut, you know, as you're flying through there, it's like, Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I don't know if there's any of us that probably don't f- forget where they were when that happened. I mean, I was in Mr. Leonardo's ninth grade history <laughs> class when we turned on the TV um, not to age myself in comparison, but like everybody has a very distinct memory of where they yeah. were when that day was. And the fact that you actually flew a helicopter on that day delivering supplies that were needed yeah. is, is really, really awesome to be a part of that. Do you yeah. remember where you were? Yeah. I was uh, Cal Maritime. We were yeah. getting ready for uh, some radar class. And yeah. Yeah. I swung by the lobby as you're walking out, like the dorm rooms, and everyone was in there like, there's no one, there's no one ever in here, you know? It's, yeah. And yeah. What about, were you still in San Francisco? Or I were was. You San Francisco that yeah, point, I was. Yeah. And, uh, it was, you know, West coast. So the timing was, I was just getting to work and, uh, Jared King came running out to grab me out of my car and drag me into the wardroom to watch. Yeah. Man, oh. that's, that's quite a flight. Yeah. Have you ever gone back to your high school and shared that story? Uh, no, I have not. Yeah. I feel like that'd be a really neat story <laughs> so, to share. Yeah. yeah that's really yeah. cool. Yeah. What, what about you, Cat Wilson? What what uh, you have a favorite flight or a favorite SAR case? Yeah, I I mean I, I'd actually um, I would tell a, a different kind of story if if I could. I'd, I'd talk about my first deployment um, yeah. back to the cutter as an aviator. Yeah, because uh, I feel like it was an entire you know first tour's worth of experience jammed into one deployment, and uh, I learned so much. It was incredible. Uh, I went out with uh, Ted Salmon on a, a cutter and. Uh, uh, we, you know, not even two months probably total underway, but, uh, off the coast, West coast of Mexico and, uh, doing mostly migrant interdiction down there. And, mm-hmm. you know, we had one case, we had to pick a guy off of a, a fishing boat. Um, you know, the story was that he had taken a, a swordfish over the side into his belly, which was probably, I mean, we picked it when we picked him up, they had him on ice. They were probably just wanted to get the dead body off and, Whoa, uh, yeah. and had not told us the truth about why we were picking him up. I'm sure that it was actually a stabbing, but yeah, but who knows? So, uh, but we got out there and I was brand new co-pilot. Um, I mean, weeks after T course, I was on this deployment and, uh, we got out there and the boat was driving, you know, in a direction where they had their stern into the wind mm-hmm. and it was, you know, a little bit disorienting. And I was the one who said, well, we'll just, you know, face into the wind and back down you know, relative, you know, to the ocean, but we still had headwind while we did this hoist. It was pretty, I felt, you know, and, and everybody was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. You'll still have yeah. wind on, on your nose. And I was pretty proud of that. And, uh, you know, I, I got to, but I think that the reason that was such a paradigm shift for the pilot was the hoist had to be done because of the rigging from the left seat. So I got to do a real live, not live, but a hoist Yeah, on my, uh, you know, weeks after before T-force. ever yeah. going through any, yeah. did they have a right seat skills no, uh, no. or any kind of hoist training no, no. in that, mm-hmm. in that time? Or was it just, no. And in fact, back then it was kind of like the AC's judgment, but you know, generally commands would say, you know, try to keep the right seat when you have somebody new with you or okay. something like that. But a lot of the, you know, old guys, they didn't care. They would stick me in the right seat if I wanted it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, on this deployment, I was definitely left seat and, uh, did that hoist. It was, uh, pretty great. Um, 
I feel like that's a, a great technique that we've heard in the past too, where you, it's like an outside the box. Hey, you don't always need to go nose into the wind to the, you know, port star record or whatever it might be, yeah. uh, DIW of it might be, but you can always back down and have them, especially when it's a big sea state, you can have them go down swell. Yeah. You know, you're still facing into the wind and you can get those, that hoist out safely. Yep. And uh, same deployment, uh, another case we had a migrant on board who had miscarried and, uh, but we had flattened a strut, so we were grounded. Mm -hmm. uh, but the rules back then, and maybe it's the same now, is you couldn't land on a ship with a flat strut. And said you couldn't take off. Mm -hmm. So we, <laughs> you know, her life was in Sea fact in jeopardy. And, yeah. and so uh, we flew her in into, uh, into port, and uh, we broke down. Of course, there it was great. Got oh, like yeah. a week in Manta, Ecuador, staying at a hotel, waiting on parts. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. That's a good deployment right yeah. there. No, and that's not it. Uh, there was even more. Uh, we had to go back uh, into uh, uh, Acapulco for some other reason, and it's escaping me why uh, we had to fly in. Um, but uh, on this one, we were uh, IMC, and, uh, you know, I mean, you're supposed to speak English, but you know everybody down there is speaking Spanish. But they'll speak English to you, of course. Mm -hmm. And I remember uh, we were going to do a full procedure turn going in, and uh, they had said to uh, report I think they said report inbound and I may in my memory I made another report that we were outbound but I'm sure that they misunderstood that that must have been when I said was inbound so I knew just enough Spanish to understand that they cleared someone else for the same approach and it was my fault uh, in my memory because I had said something and yeah. even though I didn't say I was inbound um, but so um, they were speaking Spanish to yeah, the other yeah yeah wow yeah. And so we were inbound thinking, you know, basically talking amongst ourselves, like, did, did you hear what I heard? Did they clear someone else on this approach? Are they outbound right now? Are we about to? And uh, sure enough, oh, there was a hole in the clouds and that hole got completely filled across my entire, entire windshield with another airplane face to face. Whoa. Yeah. If there wasn't a hole in the clouds, we would have completely collided. We just bottomed the collective and, uh, you know, went IMC and probably in an unusual attitude, uh, completely off uh, the uh, approach, waited a brief moment and then did a cycle climb back up and tried to reacquire as best back we on could. Altitude? And we got there and it was amazing. <laughs> I can't believe we succeeded. Uh, but that on that approach, no kidding. Uh, we were supposed to go back to the cutter. We knew we were out of gas. We landed, uh, had to uh, get rid of whoever we had. I can't. Like I said, I can't remember for sure what we were delivering. Um, and just like in the movies, a uh, pickup truck full of guys carrying armed, you know, guns showed up and wanted us to shut down. And what in the hell? Yeah. It's, I can't believe this whole deployment. I mean, that we survived and, you know, welcome to aviation. This is what we do. You're three weeks <laughs> ahead. Yeah. Course. Right. And, yeah. Uh, you know, we, we had uh, we had a non-rate with us who spoke Spanish from the cutter. And he ran out to talk to them and he, you know, gave us the cut signal, you know, across his neck and we're like, No, no. We're you know, we're approaching bingo. We're like signaling to him to come back. He comes back in and he says, They want you to shut down and they were like, No, nah, we're not gonna be able to do that. So we just pulled all the collective we have and you know, sent dust flying toward those guys hoping that they weren't actually going to open fire. They did didn't. It, did, oh, no, they didn't. Uh. Tad, he gone Wilson. Yeah, he gone. <laughs> he gone. <laughs> he gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that deployment wow. was something. Uh, 
just the approach uh, yeah. that you did yeah. there was on. Oh my goodness! All in one. That was in one sortie. I feel like it. Yeah, that feels like a, a, an untrue story. Yeah. Wow. And especially having. I mean, anybody who has a near midair is. I mean, that's seared yeah. in your memory. Oh yeah. Absolutely seared. You probably can still see oh, the, the type image of, of the airplane plane oh, yeah. and everything. My memory, of course, could be completely made up. Feel like it was like a King Air. I remember a twin engine. And it was as big as my entire world for that moment. What was the culture? Uh, is that something that um, you guys went back and shared that story? Or was that kind of like, woo, close call and it was just in the rear of your mirror? Well, it was in the rear of your mirror. You know, by the time we made it back to home station, it was long gone. I don't remember if we ever talked about it in the wardroom or not. Um, but, uh, but the culture back then... Uh, I remember Dave Ehlers talking about this, that especially um, with the cutters, that you didn't talk about that stuff. He had a single engine to a cutter, and they didn't even do a mishap message on it yeah. back then. You know, it was just we had so many single engine events back then. And just yeah, and he was he had two of them, and as he tells it, you know, he's famous for a different story with the cheeseburger. No, you have to, unfamiliar. No, <laughs> unfamiliar from the cheeseburger yeah, story. Yeah, you've heard this story. I'm not going to tell his stories, but. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it was, uh, you know, that was, that to me was just like, wow, we do all these things. I better get on my game if mm -hmm. we're going to do this level of stuff. Mm -hmm. And of course, turns out it was a complete anomaly. And, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I feel like anytime going into a foreign country, um, operating at Hitron, mm -hmm. you know, every once in a while you had to fly into whether you're doing a medevac or an aircraft swap. And sometimes you get met with guns and you're like, I hope this goes well. Yeah. You know, uh, that was actually one of my most memorable flights. Leaving the, something like the cutter was going to go through the canal and we were swapping aircraft or something. And we ended up literally flying the Panama Canal. We're getting ready to land into the airport in Panama City. And, you know, you're trying every frequency you possibly can. No one's talking to you. You hear a bunch of Spanish. Like, I, I guess we'll just keep going. Um, and you're approaching like the airspace and you're like, all right, throw one more call. And sure enough, they're like, Hey, yeah, we're coast guard. We've been trying to, you know, hail you. And you're like, uh Oh, like, yeah. When you land, make sure you land at this point and, and you call us. And you're like, I don't know how to call, call you, but yeah, okay. we got met, we got met with some, uh, some M16s. Oh yeah. Really? Yeah. And, and we did. And we're like, Hey, we're coast guard. Like we come in here a lot and it was fine, but it's not a warming feeling no. when you see M16 pointed at you right. being like, hey, shut it Yeah, down. they never pointed them at us. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was really clear that they were not. I mean, that's an unannounced visit by a military, a military aircraft. aircraft yeah. And that's the local militia. And they're going to do what local militias do. Yeah. Yeah. Yikes. Well, um, those are. <laughs> that's one of those things where you talk about um, just like experiences. Mm -hmm. Like you. You can't teach that in the classroom. You just, you have to be there and experience yeah. it and have those emotional reactions that, that you did. And, you know, you can, you can attempt to, to tell the story and people can get a, a, a glimpse of what it's like, but man, you, you got to be in the aircraft and to, to get those experiences and learn. So, yeah. Yeah. That's a wild one. Um, any favorite star case that, that you had in San Francisco or... And, and same, yeah, same yeah. to you, Sal, too. You know, have any favorite star case you've had along your way as well? Yeah. Um, had one when I was actually CEO of uh, LA. Um, Did you? Yeah, we were, 
I was up. Uh, was Can I, we, we real quick, did yeah. you steal the right seat from the uh, other pilot? Or? Uh, I did, yes. Okay, yes. good. Um, <laughs> good job. Good. So it was actually uh, one of those uh, hoist demo uh, flights. We went from LA up to uh, Morro Bay, which is, uh, as you know, is quite a hike from LA. But It uh, is, yeah. Yeah, so we did that. We spent the day with them, Did you know, got underway in the afternoon, did some, uh, some uh, boat hoist with them. And uh, then we're on our way back home. And um, at that time, Lieutenant Commander... Uh, uh, Toby Holdridge, who mm-hmm. just retired uh, uh, re- yeah. a couple months ago, um, he was he was left seat, I was right seat, and we're uh, just you know plugging along down the coast, and we get a, a pon-pon or a security over the radio, and they give uh, the call was a, you know a possible sailboat in distress, and they gave a lot long, and so Toby go ahead and he punches it in, he goes, oh look, it's only like 14 miles from here. Oh no! I just want to go home, you know. <laughs> so, 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 so I, I guess we're going to divert. So, so, we, so we uh, we diverted, and sure enough, it was right off uh, Point Conception. There it was, yeah. it was a lot of you know pretty rocky area and yeah, cliffs, there absolutely. And, stuff. and uh, so we go there, and sure enough, there's a sailboat. Um, I don't think he was demasted, but his sail wasn't up, and there were two elderly gentlemen on on board, and we finally got to talk to them, and they were like. You know, we're too tired. Can you send someone down to drive the boat for us? And we're like, uh, not really. But mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> but in the meantime, he's, you know, we're getting closer to the rocks there at Point Conception. And uh, so these guys are like, oh, that's what it was. They're uh, steering, their st- steerage was not working on the boat. Mm-hmm. So uh, so we go, so we're you know, discussing as part of the crew. And, you know, the only thing we can really do is, you know, get them off the boat, take them to, take them to safety. And um, so that's what we decided to do. So we, we t- were talking to the, uh, the gentleman on the boat and uh, we f- finally talking, we're telling them like, hey, because they didn't have a, uh, exposure suits or any gumby suits or anything. So we're telling them, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, when we say so, we're going to have one of you get in the water, have a rescue swimmer. We're going to, he's going to put him, put him in right next to you and he's going he's gonna to pick you up. So I was like, okay. So the first guy is like, got it. So uh, we're all set. We get a checklist done. Okay, go ahead, jump overboard. So he jumps overboard, got the swimmer right there. Beautiful. I forget how we picked him up with a sling or direct. I forget now, mm-hmm. but uh, we got him in. And uh, so next guy, so by now it's getting dark and it's misty and, and uh, we didn't have NVGs with us, obviously, because mm-hmm. we didn't really expect to be out there that long. So, um, so and the seas were probably um, maybe about 10 foot, 10, 12 foot, something like that. So we're, and I had just come, you know, I was think a year out of ALC where we, you know, didn't hoist for four years. So, so now it's, you know, testing my abilities. Here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so, uh, so we're waiting for the second guy. We said, okay, get in the water. And he's just, you know, delaying and delaying and delaying. And, uh, finally after a significant delay, um, I see him reach down and he, he's got a prosthetic leg. He pulls it off and gets a rope and he starts tying it to his torso. And then he jumps in the water and I'm like, Oh, you know, I'm saying like, goodness. oh my God, <laughs> like uh, I deployed a swimmer you know? yeah. <laughs> immediately. So, <laughs> immediately. So, so, so we, uh, we end up picking this guy up and uh, we get him in and by now it's, uh, it's dark and, um, and the weather's, weather's kind of skosh. It's, um, I don't think it was either marginal VFR or just below that. Yeah. And, um, so we managed to, uh, make our way into Santa Barbara so, yeah. and, uh, we, we get in there and, uh, we land and there's an ambulance waiting for us there and stuff. And, um, and as we're, we shut down and I'm standing outside the cabin door and the gurney comes up, put this guy on a gurney and they're holding him away. And he, he grabs my hand and he goes, 
there's, there's seven thousand dollars in my pocket. It's yours. Someone like <laughs> what? <laughs> I was like, yes. Yeah. So, wow. I says, thank you, sir. But I can't do that. <laughs> oh <laughs> so, my goodness. So, so yeah. So we ended up spending the night in Santa Barbara, and uh, yeah, yeah. So that was a cool day, you know. That's a, a wild a day. Coast Guard day. You know? Yeah. And a great coast to fly too, man. That's, yeah. That's yeah. a that's a great story. That was awesome. Seven thousand dollars. <laughs> Oh man, do you have a do you have a favorite star case in uh, SF or yeah? I, uh, I have uh, I have you know lots like we all do, but uh, lots of favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have one that I like to tell because it uh, it's it's good for learning. Um, flying up, and you'll have to help me out with geography a little bit. Flying up Tamales Bay leads to Bodega Bay, right? Mm-hmm. Remember up to yep. San Andreas Fault, yeah. Yep. So it was nighttime going up there, and and. Uh, it was socked in at Bodega, but the call that we had got was somebody was breaking up on the rocks and the Bodega crew couldn't get to them. And, uh, and so we went up there thinking if it's socked in and, you know, we may not be able to do this, uh, right. but we'll go. Uh, and so we're going up to Mollus Bay and of course then the, the ceiling rolls in. So we get down really low and it's, you know, NVGs and dark and you know how it is though, under the, the clouds in San Francisco or that part of the, Pretty clear. Uh, coast, yeah, it tends to be clear under the clouds, and they're not super raggedy on the bottom usually. Yeah, so it's pretty reliable. And mm-hmm. so uh, we're going uh, using the cliff line uh, to navigate. So uh, you know, on the western side of Tomales Bay, uh, and I don't remember who I was with. Uh, I wish I did. It, it might have been uh, Steph Hurst, um, but coming up that side. So they were flying from the left seat, uh, but we were getting slower and slower, and eventually became basically. Uh, it was going to be air taxi or turn around. Uh, but by then the uh, small boat uh, had started talking to us directly. Mm-hmm. And every time they would key the mic, uh, you could hear the people on the boat. No they were that close. Way. They couldn't get to them. They were breaking up on the rocks. And, but you could hear their, well, I, you know, their whistles. And I'm not sure if I was hearing the crew talking you know, yelling or the actual survivors right. yelling, but there were people. Anyway, it was enough to bring the, uh, you know, the blood pressure up and the, mm-hmm. then the, the desire to get there yeah. was way high, but you could definitely hear the whistles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the coxswain that was talking to us was pretty excited too. Uh, telling us, you know, right there on the rocks, I can see them. They are going to break up. They're not going to make it. You know, it was really big time pressure. And so... The other pilot decided to air taxi along the cliff line and then hover taxi along the cliff line to continue to crawl our way up there, which was pretty familiar with the geography back then. And it's pretty reliable. And, uh, you know, as long as we could see ahead and had a horizon such as it was, you know, we kept doing it and we kept mm-hmm. going forward and forward and forward really slow. Uh, and then the, uh, we got to the point where it drops off and, and we were able to hop over and get to them, but it was a really long hover taxi to get there. So this is, you're talking about going up over the ridge into Tamales Bay here to get in there, or after? No, so this is after we're yeah we're already okay. in Tama- in in Tamales on the uh, northern side. I got okay. yeah. So I, I guess you. maybe it, that might be called Bodega by then. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, along the San Andreas, but on the Bodega side. Yeah, and uh, and it, we got to that point, hopped over, and we were able to. Finally, you know, taxi backwards, you know, back south along the other the ocean side and, mm-hmm. and get to the, where they were. And uh, the really instructive part is because we were on goggles, we could see that all they had to do is walk off their boat and walk up the 
coast. They no could, way. There was high land behind them that was not going to get pummeled, but they didn't know that. They couldn't see it. They had no way of knowing that uh, where they were. They were going to stand on that boat until and, until there was no boat below them. Yeah, and they could have just walked right up the shore. Anyway, uh, we didn't try to hoist them. We told them that they could do that, and uh, we stayed long enough to see at least one person do that. And then we, you know, I think we might have departed IMC. I think that's an interesting point too, because um, in any SAR pilot, you want to like the, the hoist is is normally the yes, we got to pick somebody off a boat or off a cliff or wherever it might be, and and to direct that person to just simply walk away or direct a small boat to come yeah. in. It's yep. not that it's a hit on our ego or anything, but it's it's you know it's not as exciting as it could yeah. be for a search and rescue case. But a lot of times, it's the best option yeah. for the survivors. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, it was interesting. I, I think I told this story not that long ago, but but Dagobah, we're literally hoisting with the forty-seven. And you hear like a mandate call, and someone goes up against the rocks, and it was Blaze Potts. Ironically, oh, yeah. he came up again. His name came up again, but uh, we, you know, literally their boat—you see it—it's smashing up against mm-hmm. rocks. You could hear it hitting the rocks, and you know, we're you know, we're like, oh, we gotta get, we gotta get do that. And he's like, hey, no one is in immediate danger right now. They're they're not gonna sink. They're on the boat. Everyone just take take 30 seconds and let's take a big breath and figure out what we're going to do and what's the smartest thing to do, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it takes that boat. Yeah, when you hear the whistles and mm-hmm. stuff, um, you, it triggers that emotional response yeah. that, like, we've got, we've got to do this. We've right. got to get there. There's there's no other option. We can't turn around. we got yeah, to go. Yeah, that's certainly how we felt at the right. time. Yeah. 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 Um, Completely shifting gears. We've been, we threw a couple of uh, shade, things of shade your way, sir. But uh, to you specifically, Sal, um, I sent out an email or I had my, uh, asked our skipper, hey, like any, anybody got any good Sal stories? And then it goes out to various retired folks. And uh, I think it was Captain Reedland who came back. But uh, oh boy. there's a story that you, uh, I think it was when you were the CEO of Humboldt, you had aged out of being able to fly the 65 <laughs> single pilot. Is that an actually a true statement? You know, uh, I was trying to look that up in the manual today just to, because I saw it on your notes here. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, I, don't, I don't know if there is. Is there an age limit? There, or was this not just there is. is. There used to be. Yeah. Um, really? Yeah, there used to be. I couldn't find it in the in the new. Uh, it's in actually. It's not in the Air Ops manual, but it's in the uh, uh, Aviation Medicine manual. Yeah, I was going to say it um, sounds more like that. Yeah, and it's. Um, it used to say some to the fact that pilots over fifty basically needed a a younger pilot with them. I forget the wording they used. Oh my gosh! <laughs> no so, so way. So we read that as. I can't fly single pilot anymore. This is ridiculous. Um, so, <laughs> so, um, so we, we, you know, at that point anyway, you know, I wasn't doing test flights anymore yeah. regularly. And, um, so it was really no reason for me to do it, but, but, um, um, ops boss at the time, you know, we discussed it. Like, you can't fly single pilot. We're like, Skipper, you can't do it. <laughs> so I, I think they changed that or pulled that out. And okay. so I don't, I, at least I couldn't find it today. But, I mean, I think it's so interesting too. Cause, um, if I if I was at the air station in Humboldt and then looked at the CEO and said, "Oh wait, the CEO can't fly single pilot because of an age restriction," and I'm looking at a pilot who has six thousand hours in the sixty five, yeah, it, at no point anywhere in my subconscious would I think that you couldn't fly single pilots. Like this is the yeah. person who should fly based on experience, single pilot. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 So, you would, you would so the story we heard was, you know, ops comes out and yells at you, he's like, "Hey, you can't fly single pilot," and you kind of just said, "Roger that," and then. <laughs> 
took off saying goodbye. <laughs> yeah. I, don't know, I don't know if you can confirm or deny that. I like the legend. Uh, yeah. Better. Just give them all a hand salute. Yeah. And, uh, See, off you go. I'm going. Roger that. I won't. Oh my goodness. I won't. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, both of you have had a, a very long engineering um, career. Is there any favorites or, um, you know, there's so many other engineers or, or uh, wannabe engineers out there that are trying to apply for it that are looking forward to some advice or, hey, this is something that you should really do when you're doing an engineering track. Is there anything that really stood out to you in your career? And we'll, we'll start with you, Sal. Like what, uh, what kind of job? Um, yeah, I, you know, obviously I'm, I'm biased to, to engineering and, and uh, my own personal uh, reasons for doing it was, you know, my, my background as a, as a mechanic and, um, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, that I, f- I was trying to figure out a way I can stay in the cockpit the longest and, you know, and be with the folks on the hangar deck and, you know, and, and engineering was the best way to do that. Mm-hmm. And, and I worked with, when I was in Brooklyn, I worked with a lot of the engineers there and uh, really enjoyed that. Plus, uh, I really liked the fact that it was, especially at that time, um, things, paths, <laughs> career paths are a little more structured now than they were back then. But yeah. back then that was really the only structured career path. So, you know, you go to do your student engineering, maybe go someplace as an assistant EO, maybe an EO tour, uh, grad school, and, you know, and then on. So it's, it seemed, you know, I, I liked it was kind of a family feeling because you, you know, you, you'd meet once a year with all the EOs and senior mm-hmm. leadership and uh, got to know those folks. And uh, it was just, that's what I really liked. That's what's kind of stood out to me. And I, and I liked uh, the fact that, um, you know, get you know, getting to know the aircraft, uh, you know, what better way is there to, you know, be doing test flights and really digging into the systems, finding yeah. out what's going wrong. So what was your most fulfilling tour as an engineer? Um, I'd probably, oof, it's a tough one. Um, I mean, we're all great, but if, uh, I liked uh, Humboldt cause it was a, it was a challenge cause mm-hmm. it was three helo unit and, um, you know, I didn't have an assistant at the time. So it was, you know, it was just, just me yeah. <laughs> pretty much. And, uh, and I enjoy doing it. So I, so I, I love doing it, but it was, you know, like we talked about earlier, it was a challenge trying to keep a B zero aircraft with, with three aircraft and, uh, mm-hmm. and a, you know, small, small unit, very, uh, very cohesive unit. And, uh, so I, I'd probably say there, but, uh, yeah. you know, Atlantic city was uh, a little different. We had a lot more aircraft, a lot more people, um, but no NCR at that, that time. So it wasn't as big a deal, but yeah, it wasn't as crazy. Yeah. Yet. Yeah. That's interesting. What about you, Captain Wilson? Uh, as far as favorite tour as EO or favorite uh, yeah, tour, I, or most useful. I obviously can't uh, say it's not the one I'm in now. Uh, <laughs> right. And, uh, it's uh, it's been a great program to be a part of. Uh, I can't say much more than what Sal said. It's I'd a- echo every single one of those sentiments. Uh, uh, good to be a part of a group of professionals uh, solving hard problems. But uh, as far as stories go along that line, I, I'll tell you the. The first time I really felt the effect of that program was when we uh, ran out of tail rotor blades on the H-65. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll get the details of the story wrong if I try, so I won't. But uh, the short version is that uh, we, had to, we had to trade tail blade rotors, uh, you know, our tail blades, tail rotor blades all around the Coast Guard. Like we were mailing, you know, this one has 50 hours left on it. I'll yeah, mail it, send you know, it out. to some <laughs> other unit that can match it wow. to a hub. and. And so we had this extremely coordinated effort to make hubs last, you know, with driving tail, you know, individual blades down to zero hours. It was, right. it was crazy, uh, the amount of coordination it took. 
uh, we were, you know, talking to warrant officers as a, you know, I think I was lieutenant commander. Um, I think I was AEO when this happened. I, it might have been a student. I don't remember for sure. Um, but it was a long, sustained effort of uh, coordinating across all the air stations. And it was mostly coordinated by ARSC, uh, but I think that we were just parts pooling between ourselves as carefully as we could uh, without a whole lot of IT infrastructure to support that kind of mm-hmm. optimization. Mm-hmm. And it was cool to be a part of that uh, yeah. because it was, a, you know, well, get to know everybody. Phone calls and emails. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Hey, what do you got? Yeah, yeah. Hashing yeah. it out. Huge spreadsheets, you know, you know that. We were trying to just manage all this to, you know, on our own. It was great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, you know, as far as like a, an individual uh, maintenance story, um, I like to tell the, you know, I had that classic H65 tail gearbox chip where you have to decide, am I going to land in a field right here? Or am I going to go to what I think is the safest option where I might, you know, if I lose my tail rotor, which would be a runway and, the fields were very close and Moffitt was pretty far uh, and it was a single pilot. And, you know, you're supposed to make those decisions before you are faced with them. Mm-hmm. And I had, but it was grounded in uh, when Tim Eason had the same situation in Savannah years before and put it in a baseball diamond surrounded by uh, rattlesnakes and, uh, you know, argued with me that that was the right choice. Mm-hmm. Obviously the snakes are just, you know, part of the story, but they're, but he chose the, that instead of a runway. And, you know, the guys are out there trying to fix this plane and dodging these snakes and all that. And, uh, they did, they, and then sure enough, it happened again and he landed in the same field. Uh, and it was, no he went way. back to get it. Yeah. No kidding. And, uh, <laughs> and after they had done the, the maintenance and, uh, he put it back in the same field. So, uh, you know, in my mind, the answer was go to the runway because of that experience. Yeah. So here I am, you know, crossing that ridge so really far from Moffitt and thinking, but I've already said that, you know, the right answer is to go to the runway. And I was thinking, man, I'm sorry, Tim, because now I'm having doubts on how far away that runway is yeah. behind that whole way with the tail gearbox chip. I did though, that I stuck to it. We, you know, that was okay. the plan and I didn't waver. And, uh, was it after that, was it after you left San Francisco that they landed in uh, Golden Gate Park with a tail gearbox chip? On their way back. Oh, man. Um, I think it probably was. I, I, maybe yeah, I don't remember that one. Okay, yeah. So they, you know, instead of continuing back to San Francisco, and I mean, that's a good question, I feel like, for any pilot. Are you going to land close, good, I mean, beautiful open field, whether it's the back of a, you know, a football field, baseball field, or anything like that, or do you continue to that runway? Um, yeah. I feel like we're 50-50 split, to be yeah. honest. And you're not talking about when Dusty landed in... Uh Point Reyes, are you? No, no. <laughs> when he landed, uh, yeah. No, we, we have a lot of chats about Dusty. Oh, yeah. yeah I think at that point, um, like that, that's your aircraft. Like, you, you make that decision, right? And, yeah. And if we disagree with that, we need to change the red book to read something like, land as soon as possible to the nearest oh, yeah. runway. You it know, was like, never about what are people going to ask. I, I was right. never even, yeah, that no. wasn't the question. Yeah. It was, right. it was, like I said, you, you're, faced with a scenario that you've thought through many times and have really decided for sure what you think the right answer is. Yeah. And then you're faced with it. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, do it's, I really believe really it now? It's mm-hmm. really easy sitting in a wardroom, yeah. two beers deep to be like, Oh, I'm always going to do this. Yeah, right. And then you're like, yeah. Ooh, yeah. Now, I, how, now how, how far is that? Yeah. yeah. This is a, uncomfortable. nine minute. Flight? I had another one where, uh, we lost all of, uh, one of the hydraulic systems inside the plane. So the whole interior of the cockpit is getting flooded with hydraulic fluid. So we're down to one system. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, it wasn't far back to Hunter. And uh, the other pilot was like, uh, we're going to do a, what's a, you have to remind me of the procedure in the 65. You prefer a running landing, running landing in that scenario, right? Uh, uh, unless you don't have any brakes. The red buck says, consider doing a, a hover landing because if you yeah. have no pressure in your brake accumulator, you have no yeah. brake pressure. So, so he, he yeah. wanted to amend it at that moment to do the running landing, right? Yeah. And we had not talked about that, of course. I mean, then why would yeah. you uh, talk about this obscure idea? And I was like, well, no, we're going to do what the red, red book says right now. We're not going to get into a big conversation yeah. about this, you know, on final. Right. Uh, but anyway, it's a great conversation to have. Yeah. Uh, but once again, faced with it in that moment, like, well, I don't want to lose my one remaining system while we talk about this. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, Ironically, uh, <laughs> Blake and I had that. Blake oh, Morris, yeah. Um, no kidding. Yeah, we had that happen to us uh, a couple of weeks ago. Was it the secondary the, system? At, and uh, where did it come out? Uh, Talon Bay, somewhere. Oh, ours yeah. was on we, the. Uh, we went to go put the gear down, and immediately, like, you heard sounds. You could smell vaporized oh, hydraulic yeah. fluid. Got the uh, secide low came on first, and then you saw the servo jam mm-hmm. secide isolate, and then the low the low light went out and but the fluid didn't come up and in right it no no no, yeah. no 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 yeah ours yeah. came all the way up to the cockpit my feet were super <laughs> slippery it was a mess Yikes. oh it was all 10 kinds of mess Yikes. it came out the wow. uh the rescue hoist control panel okay yeah no yeah when we landed all all the panels and everything there was just hydraulic fluid co- coming off of the whole oh, man. whole aircraft so wow. yeah, yeah. Um, i got a i'm sorry I, I got a decent lesson learned story too yeah. as, as an engineer yeah to um Humble Bay again. Um, it's Friday night. Uh, Friday night duty. Uh, we had one plane down for torque splits. Uh, do you, get, you guys fly the Alpha at all? No, no, sir. You, yes, you sir. Did, so. um, if you remember the story about the torque splits, and that's part of justification for getting the turbo mech engines. Yeah. Um, but anyways, we had a plane down for torque splits. Of course, I'm the EO. I'm also an avid softball player. Um, Saturday when I got off duty, my plan was to uh, head down to Petaluma because it was a softball tournament there. So oh, wow. Team drive. Went, yeah. yeah, so team went about maybe four-hour drive. Yeah. So the rest of the team went down there. I said, as soon as I get off duty, I'll meet you guys down there. Uh, probably missed the first game, but I'll, see, I'll meet you down there. So as, as luck would have it, we uh, we launch on a flare siding Friday night, and mm-hmm. we're up pretty much all, you know, most of the night, get back and maybe a couple hours of sleep. First light, but yeah. But uh, my, my plan was to fix this plane with torque splits. And, and we had two other aircraft up, so it was you know, not like it had to be done, but uh, that was my plan, it was stuck in my head. So after the morning brief, I take one of the uh, AMTs and, and uh, we're gonna go check uh, topping power assurance on this engine. That was typically the first thing we would do, just make sure your engine's performing like it, like it should. Mm-hmm. You know, then if it is, then you go ahead and adjust your, uh, your torques. But um, so he goes, uh, okay, he says, mind if we bring out airman so-and-so, uh, I want to show him how there was a, we called it a bullet. It was like a little um, spacer you would fit on the uh, fuel linkage arm mm-hmm. and it would basically prevent when you put your FFCL full forward, it prevented that fuel lever from going, you know, full open. Mm-hmm. So everything was uh, uh, taken down a certain percentage. So you base your numbers off of that. So, um, so, uh, it was a number two engine. The fuel linkage is on the outboard side, so it was the easy side to reach. So I said, yeah, no problem, because um, he wanted the airman to set the bullet. Right. So we're, we're sitting there, turn, I'm turning, uh, and, you know, 
you know, like five minutes goes by, 10 minutes goes by. So normally this is a, like a 30 second thing on that he side. He dropped the bullet. Well, he didn't drop the bullet, but he can't <laughs> get it on. Right. Uh-huh. So, so, uh, so, you know, finally I said, what's, what's going on back there? <laughs> you know, he goes, he goes, oh, we're just having problem, problem getting the bullets on. I'm going like, really? Okay. Um, so, so uh, after another few minutes went by, finally the first class goes, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. So, so he, he goes and he's doing another five, 10 minutes. I'm going, you know, I'm thinking to myself, what in the world is going on? Yeah. And I'm trying, like, I can get out of here, guys, you know? And um, so, um, so after when all was said and done, probably 30 minutes had elapsed mm-hmm. before they finally got the bullet on. So I said, all right, get in the plane. And um, so the first thing you do, you start pulling power and you pull power, your NR is increasing. And then when it gets to a certain point, your NR will start to decrease and, and you're basically at topping. So as I'm starting to pull power in, I hear this bang and I see orange going out all over the ramp. I'm mm. like, what in the world just happened? And uh, <laughs> in our haste, we forgot to close the cowling doors, the engine engine cowling doors. Mm. So when I started pulling power, you know, the uh, air circulated underneath them, blew the doors up into the rotor system. And, you know, we, we ruined three rotor blades. Holy you know, obviously a piece of cowling. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So it was all right. <laughs> I'm going to play softball. And, yeah. um, you know, but part of my, my, uh, my lesson learned there was, um, and I used to tell this to all the uh, engineering classes that came through headquarters. You know, I would, I would say, uh, I wouldn't necessarily tell that story, but I would say, you know, fast is slow, slow is fast. You probably heard iterations mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and it's very true. You know, it seems like the more you hurry, you're going to mess something up. You know, whereas if you just, you know, took your time, went through it methodically, it's, you know, usually works out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I used to have guys, guys and girls just, as we're sitting in a classroom, do that. I says, untie your shoes. I said, then try and time as fast as you can, you know, and half the time it ends up in knots, you know, and that type of thing. It's just, but uh, that was my lesson learned there. And uh, that, you know, I carried on with that through, through most of my career after that. So, yeah. So. Do you um, ever struggle with work-life balance as an engineer and, and, kind of the stereotype that y'all work the longest at any of the other pilots. You're usually there. You're always doing test flights. Sometimes you come on weekends. You know, there's, I mean, there's a lot of buy-in obviously in the job, but um, did you feel like you got the requisite payback from the effort that you put into that job? Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, job satisfaction for me, but uh, you know, uh, fortunately I had a wife that understood that. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, you know, you know, there were times when, you know, we need to do something, but for the most part, she was uh, very accommodating for that. I didn't have, uh, we never had kids, so I don't, I didn't have, uh, you know, ball games to run home to or anything like that. So, mm-hmm. so, um, so yeah, but it does take, uh, and, and that's one thing I, I used to tell students, you know, people that were thinking about the engineering field, you know, that's two of the drawbacks is you're going to probably working longer than most, most folks mm-hmm. and your uh, assignment, uh, your billets, you know, is very limited where you can go, you know, mm-hmm. just based on vacancies, that type of thing. So those are really the two disadvantages, but uh, I thought the advantages really out, outshone the um, disadvantages there. Yeah. What about you, sir? Yeah, I don't know that I ever struggled with the balance, but yeah, there were definitely yeah. some sometimes that I missed some things at home. Um, but uh, actually, you know, the other jobs I've had that were not engineering were harder in that respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, missed a, a lot of, you know, evening meals at the house uh, as an EA, and that's just, you know, some of the jobs take that and you gotta, you know, that, you know, that going into it. And, uh, I think generally, um, you know, OPM knows that as well. And so it works out for you in the end, I guess. I don't know. I, I wouldn't say I struggled with it. No. Um, 
But yeah, there were a few Saturdays I was doing test flights. I'd rather have been home with the family, but mm-hmm. you know, I always had, you know what I had though, was I had bosses that understood that. And so I had a, the, the payback was I had a lot of autonomy. If I was gone on a Wednesday because I wasn't flying or whatever, that was okay. And uh, it was just known that I was, I was putting in the hours when I needed to and mm-hmm. taking them back when I could. Mm-hmm. What do you think, kind of going off script here, but what do you think the Coast Guard is from a risk standpoint? Like, are we, um, operationally, are we where we need to be as far as taking risk? Um, do you think we're too risk adverse? Like, where are we on that scale, do you think? Operationally? Yeah. I think we're in a good balance. Okay. Uh, I have not been operational in a few years, so I can't really right. speak to a, like right now. Yeah. Um, but I do like how that tone is set by the CO at the unit. Uh, and I felt that way as a JO. I felt comfortable with where my bosses were putting the risk balance. Uh, I did have moments in my career where I remember the occasional pilot pushing too far, uh, but it would be talked about and uh, it'd get recalibrated. So I, I always felt pretty good about our risk posture. I do feel bad about when I first started flying that, uh, you know, we were doing stuff that had just become okay without really acknowledging it to the new guy, like doing uh, real catches, um, IMC catches to meet a boat for training was extremely normal. And I know that's in the 3710 now, but it wasn't then. And you would try to have that conversation and it would be like, well, no, I was, you know, I was IFR. No, you weren't. Yeah, I was. No, you weren't. You know, and let's, let's yeah. at least be clear about what we're doing. Right. We are violating the FAR. And if yeah. we're okay with that, we're okay with that. Uh, but let's acknowledge what we're doing. We don't have to deny yeah. it to ourselves. Uh, so we've come a long way in, in that kind of risk management. It's managed centrally. Uh, we use the right terms now. So I feel good about where we've come. About you, Sal. Yeah, um, you know, obviously I've been removed from it for uh, for a few years now, but uh, um, I, I I think we're in a better place. I, I think um, the, the professionalism I, I see at the you know just from the pilots at ALC is just um, you know incredible. When I think back to my my days in in Brooklyn and you know Corpus, where you know they were good pilots back then, obviously, and mm-hmm. and when I was in Brooklyn, we flew with a lot of ex-Vietnam pilots and, mm-hmm. and those those type and great stick and rudder guys, but, you know, sometimes, you know, you got to wonder what, you know, what they're doing. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I don't see that now and I, you know, I haven't seen it later. I didn't see it later in my career. So uh, I think we're in a good place. I, I think the equipment we're flying is just, just amazing. You have to be on top of your game to, you know, uh, to follow along with what the plane's telling you to do. And, and uh, I got to fly as thanks to, uh, Captain Wilson here, I got to fly in an echo model as a, as a passenger, uh, mm-hmm. going up to an event in Atlantic city um, uh, a, few, a few months back, but, uh, you know, I was just sitting in the back, just in, you know, in amazement, what was going on up, up front yeah. and, you know, and, uh, just the talk I heard between the pilots was like, wow, this, this is uh, pretty incredible. So cool. Yeah. So, so cool. I, I think we're, we're in a great place. And, yeah. yeah. I think, uh, uh, on scene risk management, uh, by pilots, uh, the tools are there now. Uh, you got to stay on your game. You got to study hard. Because uh, it's complicated, but if you come up in that environment, man, you've got the tool set now. I'm flying the Tango, and you know it's the same or similar cockpit to the Echo, and uh, it took me a little bit to get my head around it. Uh, but man, it's easier. It is so much easier. I mean, you have all the tools now, so 
uh, I feel pretty good about pilots making their own decisions right now. Mm. Yeah, it's good. I feel like it was a steep learning curve going from Delta to, to Echo. Yeah. Um, you know, gla- glass cockpit, uh, cast it. But man, when, once you know it, you're like, yeah, why would I ever? Man, it's right? almost like um, goggles, man. The first time you put on MVGs, you're like, well, I, I can't see anything. Like my field of view, it's all green. Like I, well, this yeah. is terrible. Yeah. And then, you know, yeah. now you're like, hey, would you ever do a night mission without goggles? You're like, no. nope. No, no wouldn't even consider it. Yeah. 100%. No. Yeah. And Sal remembers the time when we would start our catches and matches oh, with them on and have to have lift to them. Lift them at the. Because you weren't allowed to hover with them. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was insane. Terrible. Yeah. yeah. Somebody said you couldn't hover. With yeah, there were different levels yeah. to the qual in BG one two three or whatever. And yeah, uh, level yeah. one was at altitude. I think level two was kind of what you're talking about. And we didn't have three yet for a while yeah. or something. Yeah. I don't yeah. remember exactly how the history yeah. went. Somebody else can tell you better, but but I do remember that you could start yeah. an approach with them on and then yeah. take them off when you actually want to, when <laughs> yeah, you actually right. need them. Yeah. Like, yeah, you, you guys can't do yeah, that. Right? Like, come on, Crazy. coming through hundred fifty feet or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, nice. Okay, now I'm in a black hole. Yeah, man. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, well, hey, we, we normally like to end. Um, I got one more question. Oh, yeah, go we ahead. want one more. Go right, so, as the current CEO of ALC and then a former uh, CG41, what's your favorite airframe in the Coast Guard? Oh, I'm fleet? not doing it. 65. Yes. All right. He did. Sal did it. We knew you want to say it. I, didn't even I know you want to say it, sir. I know you want to say it. Okay. Now, now you can go ahead. Yeah, ask your question, Kenny. I'm 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 waiting for uh, Captain Wilson to. I think he's just going to keep that smile okay, on his face and not say anything. All right, uh, you yeah. can say 65. It's okay, <laughs> sir. It's okay. I we, will say I, I've enjoyed the transition to the 60. It's uh, it's been fun not having to worry about fuel and having decent air conditioning. Yeah, I do miss the 65 the collective because <laughs> yeah. you can't get it up as yeah. far. You have to yeah. put your arm underneath. Yeah, uh, it's been fun uh, to learn new things uh, and meet new folks. And it's interesting to see the difference in the communities, even though they're both rotary wing, they talk just a little bit different uh, in each of the two communities. And uh, I think the new cockpits being similar enough that the transition will be short enough that maybe organizationally we can let the rotary wing uh, pilots uh, transition a little bit more often. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would like to see that uh, because the communities can learn from each other a good bit. We'll have to, you'll have to keep working on making the procedures closer and closer together it's the small stuff that trips me up now and the procedures uh, yeah, for you know, and 20 years of muscle memory or, mm-hmm. you know, verbal yeah. and, memory. and that's something that we're working at. Yeah, I know you are. And, and keep ADC after it. It'll take a long time. I know it will, but. No, nobody likes change. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so we, we probably need to get over that and just, yeah. just change some stuff. Um, and, and we are, we've already changed some of the big stuff going from the Delta to Echo when we had a good chance to be like, okay, yeah. there's, there's a lot of change coming let's go ahead and try to align right. these communities as close yeah. as we can as, I mean, the writing's on the wall that we're going to be a, a 60 rotary wing um, organization here pretty yeah. soon. Um, I went out to Sacramento and I uh, got to fly with the Cal Fire uh, folks out there. They're on our flight schedule still. Those are still our aircraft. Uh, mm-hmm. They're painted Cal Fire and I got to go flying. So I got to fly at C-130 at altitude, but that was pretty cool. I got to tell you, that's a big plane. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Garrett Faulkner was the, uh, PLM, he was out there and he got a picture of me smiling real big behind that <laughs> yoke. And uh, he's, he used that in uh, a few uh, uh, briefing uh, nice. PowerPoints after that. So I don't know. I, I, I just like all the missions. I think it's great. I definitely chose to stay rotary wing because I like hovering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Is that nice close enough that. to an answer? That's, yeah. To sure. hover is divine. To <laughs> hover is divine. divine. Yes. Nice. But uh, seriously, we like to end uh, every podcast with um, giving a uh, shot for you guys to 
give some piece of advice, whether it's something that uh, you were told or something that you, you tell people now, whether that's uh, your younger self or some, um, you know, uh, student engineer who's sitting in, in Humboldt right now. Um, but yeah, what, what advice would, would you give? Captain Wilson, we'll start. Sure. I, uh, I, I like that you guys uh, end your podcast this way. I've taken a lot of good advice from your guests, and uh, uh, that's really good. Um, and it reminds me of uh, a period of time that we didn't talk very openly about what happened in the cockpit. Uh, it was not a good time in Coast Guard aviation when that kind of went away for a little while. And uh, you don't have to be that old to remember that time. Um, we're obviously back to that now, at least at my last boardroom we were, we talked flying stories pretty regular and we're pretty open and honest about it. But that would be my advice to folks coming in now is, that is one of our great strengths. Mm -hmm. uh, that is why we have a great safety record because we talk in very frank terms about the thing I just messed up. Mm -hmm. And uh, and we don't, you know, we don't hide, it's humbling and it's, you know, and, you know, maybe we need that as pilots, you know, to be, Humbled every once in a while. A little Absolutely. Bit. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and it's easy to lose that culture. I didn't, you know, looking back, it went away fast. Mm. And, uh, and it was probably the most dangerous time, even though it fell on the heels of our, uh, you know, most accident prone time was the reason that we are not accident prone, but the, a period that we had a lot of accidents. Mm -hmm. uh, and then that was when we stopped talking that was probably what was making us more dangerous, right? So I don't know if I said that well, but I would say to young folks, uh, you know, coming in now to, to defend that. Um, if, if you go to pilot meetings and no one's telling embarrassing stories about themselves, uh, you might be in the middle of uh, a bad culture at that moment. And you may, you may need to be the one who tells the embarrassing story because we all mess up, even the small stuff. Uh, and you can be the one who leads your wardroom back mm -hmm. uh, to talking about it. And it's really easy, believe it or not, when you're the new guy, because no one expects you to do very well or perfectly every time, right? Yeah. So you telling those stories then is pretty forgivable. Yeah. If you're not learning, I think you should stop flying, to be honest. Like, you need to have an open mind. You need to learn, because there's so many things you're going to mess up along the way. Well, I do all the time. <laughs> but <laughs> what about you, Sal? Um, I hate to sound cliche, and I know you guys... Uh, some of your podcasts have talked about, you know, knowing, knowing your craft and your, and, and that, that's absolutely true. I, I think the number one thing is to know your aircraft, whichever one it may be. Um, and not only your aircraft, but, uh, you know, your AOR, your weather conditions, your airspace, all, all that type of stuff, you know, just be a, be an absolute expert in it. Um, and, and I think one of the things I, I tried to do as a, as a CEO, um, was trying to create that atmosphere mm -hmm. where, People are not afraid to, um, uh, you know, talk about that stuff during a work day. You know, um, you know, collaterals, they'll, they'll always be there. The collaterals are not going to kill you um, most of the time. But, um, you know, for example, uh, in L.A., I remember walking, walking down went downstairs one day and passing an office. And I had, there were some guys with Dash 1 open on their desk. And as soon as I walked in, they shut them. And I'm going like, I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, what are we talking about? You know, and, and mm -hmm. I forget what system we were, they were talking about. Yeah. And I says, so I sat down there and I said, well, let's, let's talk about it. You know, so we just, we talked about it during the middle of the day. And I think they were just, wow, you know, CEOs down here in the middle of the day talking about hydraulic systems, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that's, you know, the atmosphere I, I wanted to create and hopefully I did. Um, but uh, the other part of it is, um, you know, 
think about what you want to do early in your career and, and work towards that goal, you know, whether it be, um, you know, engineering, like we, we discussed uh, this evening, um, you know, if you want to do the ops uh, safety route, you know, just kind of plan accordingly and, and, you know, get, check all the boxes as you go along. Mm-hmm. Uh, some guys, you know, just want to stay in the cockpit as long as you can. And, you know, and that was quite honestly, besides engineering, that was m- one of my goals was stay in the cockpit as long as I could. Mm-hmm. And, um, Although, you know, back then it might have been easier to do. I don't think it is nowadays so much because, um, you know, I think if you don't check all the boxes that, you know, you're, pretty, you're going to find yourself, you know, out after a while or flying, yeah. flying for the airlines or something. But, yeah. um, um, you know, and if it's, um, you know, command that you aspire to, um, quite honestly, I, I, I really didn't aspire to that. I was like, well... If it happens, it happens. If you know, <laughs> I'll, right. I'll do what I'm supposed to do. But if yeah, you know, um, but um, you know, and one of the things I used to talk about, especially with OERs, we used to do. Uh, I think I started it when I was XO here, um, uh, an OER presentation. Uh, we would go through how to write how to write a bullet and all that stuff, and the method. It's a little different now, I think, with the new form. But uh, one of the things I used to harp on was um, you know, people, money, and machines. You know where you. You're leading people, uh, large groups of people, uh, money, you're working budgets, uh, that type of thing. And, and machines, you're working with, you know, multi-million dollar aircraft all the time. I says, those are, those are the type of things you want to be, you know, writing in your OER about. So, mm-hmm. so, um, so they catch a lot of attention, I think. Yeah. Um, and you know, and I said here, I, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but maybe a headquarters tour earlier in the career. <laughs> All, right. All right, let's just wah, wah, let's shut wah, it down. Wah, wah, shut it down, Sam. That's yeah. it. Uh, we're, we're done. I say that. But, but uh, seriously, I mean, if, if, if command is what you want to aspire to, that's unfortunately yeah. something you need to do. And and uh, it's uh, it's good to see how the sausage is made earlier yeah. in your career than than at the 06 level. So I like that you mentioned if you want to be a, uh, at, never out of the cockpit, do that. Like figure out what you want to do and, yeah. and continue along that path. And mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong with somebody who wants to go to headquarters and, and go along the golden path and become a CEO versus somebody who wants to fly. I mean, I'm talking to Kenny here and, and I have, both of us have one leg to the proverbial three legged stool that you need for promotion <laughs> to 05 at this point. Neither of us have grad school or staff. And I, I don't think that should be looked down upon. Um, and I don't think it should be looked down upon uh, people who, seek that path. There's nothing wrong with that path either. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'll just no, go and we back. need folks to do that too. We don't, yeah. I don't think any of us look down on that. No, I, oh, yeah, I don't absolutely. think, I don't think no. so either, sir. Yeah. Uh, I will say that I think there are, um, certain people that you don't necessarily want to ex- like expose that to. Yeah. Um, I, I know when you were XO in San Fran, you and I had, and Mr. Pickles at the Mr. sandwich Pickles. shop, yep. um, you I and I had that talk of like, yeah. what do you want to be when you grow up, Kenny? And I was yeah. like, I don't think I phrased it that way. I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing. Um, yeah, I'm sure you said it much more intelligently than that. But um, yeah, we had that conversation of like, what yeah. what do you want out of the out of the Coast Guard? And it was very refreshing to have that conversation and and have some insight and mentorship and not just oh well you're not you're not striving for 06 command. Okay, well cool. I, I think this lunch is is done. No, uh, so, come on. No, no. Yeah, I, but I think today. there are some people in the organization where. Um, they bleed blue and if yeah. it's either up and out or you're, you're done to me and I'll, I, I'm not going to look at you as someone in the wardroom who can be a leader. Mm-hmm. It's more of a, okay, well, they're going to get passed over for 04 and, and they're off and out. And thanks. Yeah, no, I mean, your service, decisions, you know? you know, have, you know, an effect. And, and yeah. as long as folks understand what they're choosing, 
you know, the, you know, if you're closing doors, uh, someone needs to be telling you and yeah. if you're okay with that, it's good. Like I said, we need folks to stay flying a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, I did not choose a path that got me a ton of hours. Um, and you are, and that's great. And we need you out there teaching, you know, co-pilots. You don't need me doing that. I'll teach the engineers. You teach the co-pilots mm-hmm. right. and uh, that's the system. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and so just going back to how you answered the, the first part of your answer to, to Sam's question of mastering a craft. Like, I, I don't think that's cliche. I think we need to hear it more yeah. mm-hmm. now than we ever have because there are so many competing demands. Yes. And if you don't know your craft, who who's going to call you out on that? Right. You know, the exo is going to call you out if, you, if you're not turning in OERs on time, if you're not getting those projects done. But it's really easy to slip by and not know your EPs and like, Hey, what, what that instrument approach? Like, what what's what's that? And you're like, nah, dude, it's all gonna work out. It, it, yeah. It's fine, you know. Um, but that's the stuff that that'll kill you. Mm-hmm. And so I I, yeah. I do think that we 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 need to pay attention to that and and let people know that yeah, you need to be master your craft. And I remember yeah. back my first, I was sitting in the wardrobe at Brink and finished my lunch, and I had my red book out, and someone came in and was like, oh, must be nice work day studying, huh? <laughs> And you know, like that, that was the mentality when I grew up is mm. you were, you shouldn't be studying at, at work. Your job at work is to do fact end stuff is to make sure you get money for the MWR right. or whatever it was. And that was frowned upon. And so hopefully, hopefully that's not the case now, yeah. but it, it starts with like what the, the culture of, of the CEO. And if the CEO is willing to take 15 minutes to talk about the primary hydraulic system, then. The brand new Copod yeah. definitely ought Absolutely. to be right yeah. there. Yeah. And my current 100%. role, I get to uh, go visit air stations a good bit. I deliver aircraft or whatever uh, for various reasons. I end up at different places. And uh, I've seen some uh, who, when they get new pilots, uh, don't give them collaterals right away. They have a kind of a bullpen, but uh, their job is to get qualified. And yeah. for, you know, they're given six months or whatever, or some period of time before they get assigned anything mm-hmm. to focus on learning the aircraft. Right. That's a good move. Yeah, I think so. And you, you better learn it too. Yeah, yeah. yeah this is like, your job now. This isn't yeah. like, hey, yeah. we're you know, investing in you. Knock yeah. off at one p.m. to go right. hang out to go surfing. Like, no, we're expecting you to to learn the aircraft right. so, yeah, to get there yeah. quick. Sweet. Well, um, this conversation has been phenomenal. Is there any other parting shots that we haven't reached uh, with the two of you? Is there anything else you want to say in regards to engineering aviation experience? I don't like sit here all night and tell stories, but uh, I, I'm enjoying. <laughs> I, I would literally sit here all night and listen to the stories. Yeah. It's yeah. great. Um, no, I, I, don't, I can't think of a thing. I, I really appreciate you guys doing this. Uh, it's uh, an important ingredient to uh, our culture uh, that you're picking up a little bit. I appreciate that. And uh, and I've really enjoyed, you know, it's really entertaining at the same time. It keeps me connected to the fleet. I appreciate it. Awesome. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, Cam. Same, same here. I mean, uh, I think I told you guys I was, I just found out about the podcast maybe a couple months ago from uh, one of the pilots here at ALC. And because... And, um, uh, she knew I did the drive, you know, twice a week, yeah. like four and a half hours each way. And she, she says, why don't you listen to these? I went, eh, okay. So I downloaded a couple and I listened to them. A, a few of them, I was hooked, man. So, it's like, <laughs> yeah. so if the Yankees aren't on the radio, yeah. then I got you guys yeah, that's on. Nice. So, <laughs> good. So, we appreciate that feedback. Well, just keep it up. Well, it's great, great stuff. My parents are big fans. Good. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. It's yeah. not just my mom. No, nope. is, is your mom that listens? It's my mom. <laughs> your mom listens. Yeah. yeah, I have to explain all the acronyms to her. She'll call me afterwards. What the heck does that mean? So, all right, can you get any other questions? No, I don't. This was uh, ab- absolutely amazing time. Thank you guys for uh, taking the time to come out and and talk with us and.
carry on the tradition of telling sea stories. Excellent. Yeah. Right. Best of luck at ALC. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. We say goodbye, but never let go.